0: Okay, I've got a, a couple of questions. I've got a bit of a quiz to start off with this evening. But as we do this, there are some of you here at the morning service this morning. So if you know the answers, don't be yelling them out uh, uh, unless nobody can answer them. And then you can kind of yell them out. But the first one, these are, for, these are like last lines from movies or almost last lines from movies. Okay, the first one's pretty easy. Captain, Sam, can you hear me on your left? character and Avengers. Avengers, which one? Any Avengers fans? The first one? No. <laughs> End game. Well done, luck. Lucky was pretending you didn't know the answer. It's okay to be a Marvel van mate. It's all right. End game. And what was the character who said that? Sorry? Falcon. It was Captain Sam... Falcon said it to Captain America. Okay, good. All right, that's good. Well done. Um, the second one. This should be an easy one. Um, some of the old timers will probably get this. Um, freedom, Braveheart. Thank you. And who who said it? William Wallace. Okay. Um, Mel Gibson. Okay, freedom, Braveheart. Okay, what about the next one? You cannot win. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. The Obi-Wan one Kenobi, one. well done, Matt Cardia. Sorry? The real Star Wars, real star Wars yes. And uh, the reason why we left the space there was that was because that's where um, Darth Vader's name went in. Okay, what about the next one? I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. Boromir from? Whoa, what a guy. Yes, that's right. Boromir, yes, from Lord of the Rings. Okay. Uh, this one here you might know, but not from a movie, but it's a very famous line, okay? Here I stand, I can do no more. Sorry, Luther van Sorry, what? Luther, yes, Martin Luther, yes, in the, uh, the famous food movie, Luther, starring, it's, I love the fact that we're not all moviegoers here, it's really good, uh, Joseph Fiennes, yes. Um, you know, in all of those, they've got something in common, all of those stories, it looks like the game is up, the opposition seems too strong, uh, the battle looks to be over, And the words in some ways, they seem to be a bit pointless. They just seem to be a bit pie high in the sky. But we find that in each case, the story continues. In some cases, the story continues over many, many episodes. Evil does not have the last word. Good will eventually triumph over evil. You know, that's a bit like where we've got to in the book of Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 3. The situation looks pretty bleak. Judah is in a mess, it needs reform. And in chapter 1, Habakkuk has cried out to God for help. And God answers by telling Habakkuk that he's going to raise up the Babylonians, he's going to send them to conquer the whole earth, including Judah. And Habakkuk is shocked and he struggles to get his head around what God is doing. He, he accepts God's justice, but he wrestles with whether God is in some kind of partnership with these Babylonians. And God answers Habakkuk a second time in chapter 2 by saying that those who live in a right relationship with God will live lives trusting in God, trusting in His Word, Trusting in his promises, even when life makes little sense. On the other hand, the arrogant, those who are full of themselves, those who are puffed up by their own ego, well, they will shipwreck their faith in themselves and they will come to ruin. In the end, Babylon will not win. And someday, in the future, Judah, along with all the nations that have been destroyed, they will sit and they will mock their enemy for how they have treated them. At this point, as Jeremy mentioned, we're expecting another protest, another lament from Habakkuk. Because you see, the greatest risk to Habakkuk, the greatest risk to the people of faith, it's not the Babylonians. It's not from the spears of the enemy. It's not that they might lose their home or they might lose their job or their security or their family. The greatest risk to the people of God is that they might somehow lose their faith, that they might lose their faith in the goodness and in the faithfulness of God. They might be tempted to think that because of God's actions, because of His discipline, that somehow God has forgotten or He's abandoned or even become bored of them, that He really isn't in control. Maybe what God has promised is God can't be trusted. What God has promised isn't going to happen. But in the face of the enemy, Habakkuk stops his lamenting, and instead he turns to worship. He lifts up his head. He he sings a prayer of praise and a prayer of commitment to God. And as he does that, Habakkuk Habakkuk looks back on the work of God. In verse 3, he says, God comes from Taman, the, the holy one from Mount Param. Taman is in South Palestine. The Param Mountains are on the edge of Mount Sinai. It's, it's the place where God began to form the nation of Israel. It's where God's people found refuge from the Egyptian army when they when they were swallowed up by the sea. It's the it's the place of Mount Sinai where God began to, to meet with his people and where he made a covenant with his people. It's the place where God began to act mightily to save and to protect His people. What God said He would do in the future back in chapter 2 verse 14 is consistent with what God has done in the past. His splendor, it it covers the the heavens. The earth is full of His praise. There's nothing private. There's nothing concealed about the Lord's magnificence, his, his, His splendor, nor His power in dealing with the wicked. Look at verses 4 to 6, his brilliance is the light, rays are flashing from his hand, this is where his power is hidden, plague goes before him, pestilence follows his steps, he stands and shakes the earth, he looks and startles the nations, the age-old mountains break apart, the ancient hills sink down, his pathways are ancient. Notice how in verse 6, God stands still, but his standing still shakes the earth how one look from God makes the nations tremble. Mountains and hills, which had traditionally, you know, were filled with false gods, and and they they crumble and they collapse. And as they crumble and as they fall, God continues to chart His course throughout human history. All this, however, it's just a small taste of God's full arsenal. As in verse 4, it says that His true power is hidden. In verse 8, Habakkuk, he asks three rhetorical questions. He says, God, are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers, or is your fury against the sea when you hide riding your horses, your victorious chariot? Of course not. Rather, Habakkuk reminds himself, he reminds his people that, that nature is also part of God's arsenal. He's used it in the past, and he can use it again to save people if and when he so wishes everything in creation is at god 's disposal. Verse nine, you took the sheath from your bow, the, the arrows are used to be the arrows are ready to be used with an oath. you, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains see you and shudder a downpour of water sweeps by, you know, the deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. At the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear, earth, water, and fire have all been at God's disposal to fight against the enemies in the past. And in verse 12, you know, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. Habakkuk, you know, he takes comfort in the fact that the God that he trusts, the God of history, the God who he trusts has a history of delivering his people even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of his wrath. You're anointed one, it could refer to Israel, it could refer to the king. It goes on and says, you crush the leader of the house of the wicked, you strip him from foot to neck, you're you pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the seal with your horses, staring up the vast water. Habakkuk describes a, a battle scene in which, which Israel's helpless people are about to be defeated by some wicked, gloating leader. The tables are about to be turned, but it's God who wins. In fact, as Habakkuk reflects it's always God who wins. You know, whenever we consider just how much power is at God's disposal, how He can utilize His power, how He can utilize nature to carry out His plans, the scene, if you think about it, the scene of the cross, the scene where Jesus is being crucified, it's staggering. You know, there, you know, it's the innocent Son of God. He's hanging naked on a criminal's cross. He's facing injustice. He's facing rejection. He's facing condemnation. And at that moment, His Father has the whole of creation at His disposal. At any moment, He can use creation to intervene, to save His Son, to destroy those who are cruelly killing the Son, you know, pushing a crown of thorns on His head, driving nails through His hands and His feet who are now standing pointing at His Son mocking Him, ridiculing Him, making fun of Him. The very one through whom the whole of the universe has been created and who exists. The very one that if you take away the cross from the history of the world, the whole history of the world would just implode. It's that central. God at any moment could just use nature to come and just destroy it and to stop it all and say, okay, I've had enough. I'm just going to reset. I'm just going to start again. God could have used creation to do that. He could have intervened in that way. But instead, God uses creation to to save us. He, He uses it to crush the head of our enemy, the devil. He uses it to destroy the power of sin and death and, and, and point His enemies to their need of salvation through His Son. You know, for three hours, darkness comes over the whole land as, as God the Father, he, he gathers up His wrath you know, as a symbol of, of sin of the world coming upon Jesus. As God gathers His wrath and instead of pouring it on us, He pours it out on His Son. He pours it out on Jesus as Jesus dies for our sin. And as Jesus cries out his final breath, you know, the curtain of the temple that symbolizes the impossible divide between God and people is torn from top to bottom. We read that there's a violent earthquake. We read that rocks are split open. And on the first Easter Sunday, you know, as the angels roll back the stone from the tomb where Jesus is buried, we read that there's a violent earthquake that shakes the earth. You know, evil on that day when Jesus died, it looked like it had triumphed. As Jesus cries out, "'My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?' It may have looked that God, his Father, you know, has abandoned him. But the force of nature showed the world that God, his Father, hadn't. God was present in the midst of evil. God was working out his plans for us, for his people, for the world. Habakkuk, he he looks back and he reminds himself, he reminds his people of God's power, God's might. He reminds them that God is with his people and God never loses a fight. He reminds himself that no matter how bleak things look, No matter how much he can't comprehend or understand what's going to happen, God is still in control. God can intervene at any moment. Habakkuk, in times of uncertainty, is saved from despondency. He's saved from giving up on his faith by recalling to his mind who God is. Who is the God that he follows? Who is the God that he follows? What has this God done throughout history, the history of his people? and he sings, and he sings that very thing in the first few verses of the song. He says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I I stand in awe of your deeds. Habakkuk's confidence, it isn't built upon his present circumstances improving or changing in some way. It's not built upon God saving him from his situation, but his confidence is grounded in the character of God. Not just the character of God, but the work of God throughout history. And as he stands and he stands looking back at how God has acted in the past, he asks God to work in the present. He says, revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. And, you know, we can do the same thing. You know, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of sadness, you know, we can look back and we can sing. You know, it's so tempting, you know, whenever we come along to church to just think that we're here and, you know, the band is at the front and they're doing their thing and we're just singing songs along with everyone else. It's so easy just to go through the motions and the songs that we sing instead of using the songs that we sing to stir up courage within ourselves, to remind ourselves that God is with us, to encourage one another, that God is present, that the God that is present with us this evening is a God who is the God of history. There's a um an old group, there's a, a Welsh guard. These Welsh guards, you know, they fought over hundreds of years for the British army all over the world. And whenever they fought, they often sang a song. And this song was called the Men of Harlech. And these these are the words that they sang. Men of Harlech, stop your dreaming. Can't you see their spear points gleaming? See their warrior penance dreaming to the battlefield. Men of Harlech, stand ye steady. It cannot be ever said ye for the battle were not ready. Welshmen never yield. And they often sang that song in order to encourage themselves, and not just to encourage themselves, but to encourage their friends as they were going into battle. The song itself, you know, the song comes from the longest ever siege in history. Back in 1461 to 1468, over seven years, Harleck Castle was besieged. And so what the, these Welsh guards are doing, they're taking a story that happened four or five hundred years previously, and they're taking the words of that story of that song and they're bringing it into the present and they're singing that song in the present, remembering something that happened hundreds of years before to give them courage in the present. And that's what we do at church. When, we, when we're here at church, we sing songs, songs that are speaking of truths over thousands of years. And as we sing those songs, we're not just singing them vertically to God, but we're also singing them horizontally to one another. We're lifting one another up. We're reminding each other of who God is, that He loves us, what He has done, what God can do, and what God will do. And I know in a place like St. Paul's, that can be sometimes very hard because this is such a big space, we're all scattered over the building. That's why it's really good that we sit next to each other, we sit near one another, so that when we sing, we can hear each other sing. And even though if you're a rubbish singer like me, it doesn't matter, because the words that we sing, they, they encourage each other, they, they build one another up. That's what they can do. That's what Habakkuk is doing. You know, there are weeks when we feel lonely, there are weeks when we feel weak and condemned, weeks when we feel useless and rubbish, weeks when the last thing that we want to do is come to church, weeks when we just want to stay at home, we just want to curl up in a ball and just sit in front of the TV for a couple of hours. But we end up getting to church, and that's when we need others around us to, to seek their hearts out to lift off the roof of this building, to remind us that we're never alone, to remind us that God loves us, to remind us that God will never let us go, to remind us that God will never let us down. You know, Habakkuk's words, you know, it raises the bar on the importance of not just what we sing at church, but also how we sing it. It raises the importance of, of corporate worship, of, of us gathering together here to worship. You know, sometimes during the week you know we fill our minds with just the biggest load of rubbish. You know, we're we're sold lie after lie after lie, and so gathering together, being present here in worship reminds us of what is ultimately true, of who is ultimately true. It reminds us of what is good, what is eternal. And only just reminds us, but we have an opportunity through singing and through our worship to remind one another of eternal truths. Habakkuk also encourages us as we look back to also hope in the present, knowing that God has the power to act. He sings again, he says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. When I was 23, I started a ministry in, in uh, a homeless ministry uh, in Osaka, in Japan. We would make rice balls and we would make miso soup. And on a Wednesday and a Friday night, we'd go out at midnight. And we'd walk the streets of Osaka, feeding the homeless for five hours, giving out rice balls, giving out miso soup for a couple of hours on a Wednesday and a Friday night. And as we did that, we shared the gospel with people who were on the street. We didn't have much money. Rice wasn't cheap. And so as we began to run out of funds, we began to pray to God and ask God to intervene and to help us and to provide us with all that we need. And at some point, there was a sudden rice shortage in Japan. Because there was a rice shortage in Japan, they began to import Thai rice. But um, Japan and Japanese people are a bit fussy when it comes to their rice. They're not too fond of, of Thai rice. It's called, it's a bit pata pata. You know, Japanese like their rice to be nice and sticky. You know, that if you're making rice balls, it has to be sticky. And so Thai rice, you cannot make rice balls. With the, try it. You just can't do it. And so we heard that a few shops were just tired and they, they, they were trying to get rid of their Thai rice. They couldn't sell it. And so we sheepishly just went into a shop, into a rice shop and said, Excuse me, um, do you have any rice that you don't want? And they said, oh yeah, we do have, we've got six bags. You know, is six bags, you know, is that okay? And we thought, oh, that's good. And then we thought six bags were like five kilogram bags. It was six 30 kilogram bags. So instead of getting 30 kilograms of rice, we ended up getting 180 kilograms of rice. And then we thought, oh, this is great. So we went to a few other rice shops, spoke to a few owners, and before we knew it, we had two tons of rice. You buy some gelatine, You mix it with the rice and hay pressed or you've got Japanese rice. Now, I'm not suggesting that God kind of caused some kind of rice shortage in Japan to make sure that we had rice for the homeless. But at that time when we prayed, we sure felt like it. It's good to pray, isn't it? It's a good prayer to pray. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds, revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Some of you know Rahola from the, the morning service. Uh, Roly came to Australia as an asylum seeker 10 years ago. And he was told a couple of years ago when he was getting married to his wife, Lauren, the immigration department said to him, that you know, immigration can walk into your apartment at any moment because he's an asylum seeker. They can walk, even though he's married in Australia, even though he has kids, they can walk into his apartment at any point and just deport him back to Afghanistan and we could do nothing about it. And whenever I heard that, I thought, over my dead body, you know, this young man's come here to Australia and he was told you will never become a permanent resident you will never get citizenship here in Australia, no matter how many years you're here. And then after 10 years, yesterday we found out that he's been given permanent residency. And that's something. You can't clap. Um, it's something that we've been praying about over many, many years. Something that is impossible, something that it's not going to happen, and yet God can intervene. He's done it in the past. He can do it today in the present. So as we look back, we can sing. We can have confidence in the present. We can also look forward. Verse 16 says, I heard and I trembled within. My, my lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Habakkuk has heard that God is about to bring, he will bring devastation to the Babylonians. It's going to happen. He knows that the Babylonians will come and they will bring devastation upon God's people. And he isn't shy when he's expressing how depressed he feels about that. He, he feels in his heart, he feels in his lips, he feels in his bones, he feels in his legs. Yet he says... Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people inviting us. You know, Habakkuk, he's in touch with his feelings, with his emotions. He's, he's listening to what his mind, to what his body, what his heart is saying to him. He doesn't deny his feelings, nor does he allow his feelings to rule over him. But ultimately, he doesn't trust in his own perspective, but rather he trusts the potential power and might and authority of God. And all of that enables him to wait even when the wicked seem to rule the earth. In verses 17 to 19, Habakkuk further gives flesh to what this waiting is going to look like. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my strength, is my strength. He makes me like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights because of the many ways Israel has experienced God in the past in the midst of many battles and storms, they can't be sure of that same presence when he seems distant or restrained or silent. Habakkuk knows that someday Babylon will fall, but in the meantime, he must wait. He knows that that wait is not going to be easy. There will be a great loss, there will be seemingly unending sorrow. Now, he lists sources of food and agricultural commerce and in the ancient world, you know, fig trees, grape, vines, olive trees, produce from the fields, sheep, cow. But even in the midst of great loss, Habakkuk resolves to be joyful. Not in some kind of superficial way by pretending it's not going to happen or ignoring the reality of what suffering is. Rather, he says, Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. You know, in verse 19, it can be translated in Hebrew as The sovereign Lord is my army. You know, sometimes when I feel like rubbish, I take out a piece of paper and I actually literally scrunch up a piece of paper and I look at that and I go, that's exactly how I'm feeling at the moment. And I take that scrunched up piece of paper and I just place it in my hands and I tell myself I am safe in the hands of God no matter how I feel I am safe in God's hands. He's not going to let me fall. He's not going to drop me and squash me. I am safe in the hands of God, no matter how I feel. He will not let me fall. And I'm sorry if it sounds a bit corny, but sometimes I pray these words from St. Patrick. Um, He prays this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ where I lie down, Christ where I sit, Christ where I stand. The Lord is my strength. Remember that next time you sit at the bed of a relative or a loved one who's dying. Remember who it is who is in you, who is surrounding you, who is before you, who is behind you, who's Above you, he's below you, remember that he is your army. Remember that the next time you hear the news from the doctor that you just were dreading to hear. Remember that when you face loneliness or despair or disappointment or a breakdown or a or a breakup. Remember that when you lose your job or you lose a friend. Remember that when you watch or you listen to the news this week. Remember that when your life doesn't make sense that you are safe in God's hands. Then look back, look forward, and as you do, live today, because the Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord is my army. He makes my feet like those of a deer. Standing on Him, I am standing on solid ground, Standing in Him means that He will enable me to walk high mountain pathways and mountain heights. Just to wrap up this evening, I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And we're going to do what we've been talking about this evening. We are going to stand together and we're going to sing a final song, No Other Name. And as we do, let's... Lift the roof of this place, and let's be aware that as we're singing this song, we're singing it, yes, to God, but we're also singing these words to one another, to encourage one another, to lift each other up. So let's worship God together. right now. Let's stand and let's worship.